It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome to the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest. Occasionally, if there's a national topic or two floating around, we usually have a gambling segment. We're kind of in the gambling lull. I guess maybe we can take odds on when, what day Ellie De La Cruz will come up. Maybe we'll have a pool of, of that. Well, well we've got some NBA, NBA exactly. stuff to get to there. We do have some NBA stuff to get to for the finals. Um, and, of course, my favorite topic uh, where you can go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag Ask Skinny Anything. You can ask a question on any topic. It doesn't have to be sports. You ask them, Rick compiles them, I answer them. And the wackier, the better, as I always say. Rick, uh, there is some excitement, though, with, with the Ellie De La Cruz buzz of maybe will it be this weekend? Is it coming? And to add to what this team is doing, it's got a little buzz around Reds baseball at the moment. And they definitely do. That's where we're going to start this show. The Reds are looking for a second straight sweep coming up on Thursday night. We're recording here on Thursday morning. They scored 25 runs on the Cubs in three games over the weekend, and then won back-to-back one-run games over the Red Sox in Boston over the last two nights. They are just three games out of first place in the NL Central and three wins shy of getting back to 500. You mentioned the buzz. The thing that everyone is talking about right now is Ellie De La Cruz, Christian Encarnacion Strand. When are we going to see these guys? So, Skinny, we'll start there. What are the chances we will see Ellie De La Cruz and or Christian Encarnacion Strand this weekend when the Reds return home for three against the first place Brewers? Yeah, I just don't think there's a place for Encarnacion Strand at the moment. And and it sounds silly because he's still raking down there. I I think it's a pretty good chance you see Ellie. Uh, I I, I don't know, Rick, if if I read too much into this last night. We was at a place with some buddies playing cards with the Reds game on the background. I don't know what to make of Nick Senzel starting in left field. Was that like the preemptive strike of, okay, that's going to be our plan moving forward. We'll move steer, um, steer back to third, maybe, or maybe that's where we'll play India or that's where we'll play McLean and Ellie will play short. So we'll have McLean in third, Elliot short, India stays at second steers, your first baseman. And now we got into the mix of a platoon situation, or maybe even more than that, Senzel in, in left field. I just found that interesting last night because we talked about it. he's actually been doing a pretty good job at third base. So why do you think there's not a spot for CES, but there is for Ellie? I don't understand that. Well, I mean, who's he going to play over at the moment? Well, I mean, you just said, like, Steer could move over to third. Senzel could move out to left field. I, I mean, what? why? Yeah, could, no, no, I messed that up. That's why couldn't CES I, play I, first or designated hitter? I don't understand that. No, no, no. I, I messed it up. Steer stays at first. Um, India stays at second. McLean plays third and De La Cruz is your shortstop. I just found it interesting that Senzel played left field last night. It was almost like, let's see what this looks like and then we'll make a move on this. So I think there's there's a couple of big questions that has to be answered before you really get too far into Ellie De La Cruz or Christian Encarnacion Strand coming up. And that's what do you do with a couple of these other guys? I mean, there are like Tyler Stevenson is a really interesting situation back, right now. He, he, yeah, he goes back to full-time catcher, and um, you lop one of the other two catchers off. It, is that what you do? Me. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, and th- at that point, I think that's probably the best option for Tyler Stevenson because this designated hitter experiment is a disaster. I mean, there's no... They, they've got to get more out of that designated hitter spot. It can't be Tyler Stevenson striking out every at-bat. What about Will Myers? Do you... Do you stick with Will Myers through this injury and give him a chance to to find his footing and get back on track? Or is he an odd man out and you got to move on? I think he is kind of an odd man out. And and 
listen, I know the whole process was sign him, hope he rakes, flip him at the deadline. Well, honestly, do we, anything, do we really think he's going to get hot here at some point? Um, and even if so, is he what's he really going to command in trade value? I, I'm almost of the ilk. I don't think they'll do this right away, but I'm almost of the ilk of when he comes back from injury, he's, he is a, an extra part. Um, he does get a, a start here or there, maybe even as a DH. But if it doesn't happen quickly for him, I just DFA him and move on. And then you create a spot at that point for Encarnacion straight, and then you try to fit the puzzle pieces together. Do you think that the fact that they did pay him a decent amount of money is going to to factor in there, that they're going to give him longer to, to get back on track and hope maybe they can still flip him? I, I just don't know what you're going to flip him for. I mean, we, we talked about this last week in that trade story I did with looking at all the trades since the end of 21. You know, Tommy Pham wasn't great, but he wasn't like off the charts awful. And he got a nothing prospect in return. Right. So what do you really think you're going to get for Will Myers at this point? You're not getting anything. I I agree with that. I'm just wondering, it seems like, especially with the Reds, hopefully they're past this, but it seems like a lot of times you you spend money on a big contract, that guy's going to get the opportunity to play. Now, this isn't crazy money by any stretch of the imagination, but on this payroll, He's one of the highest paid well, players. So yeah, but but you're also now by the time he comes back, you're two thirds through that contract too. So you've account you're you're closing in on accounting for half of that money at that point. If it's worth eating it to create space for a younger player who's going to give you more, then you just do it. And you're not eating it at that point, Rick. You're probably eating. Uh, I'm spitballing three and a half mil. You're not eating twenty six mil. What about Nick Senzel? Well, that's what I'm wondering about last night is last night, the start of moving him back to the outfield and, and, and playing a corner spot um, in, in left field and maybe becoming um, a platoonish guy, or maybe he's the everyday guy in the, in the, in the right field situation with Jake Fraley's a platoon situation. I, I just, again, that, that came is very interesting to me. <laughs> Going back, this is probably two years ago now while we were doing this podcast. I remember someone actually got mad at me because I, I, I used this take so many times, but, but Nick Senzel, his value, basically ever since we got past that initial period of like, oh, he's he could be a can't-miss prospect. We got to see this guy come up. Once we got past those initial couple of years and he kept getting injured, we're, we're past that point. He's no longer a top pick. He's no longer a top prospect. He is a utility guy. He is Ryan Friel. That is his value to this team now. He yes. can play any yes. spot. He's yes. a hustler, has a little bit of pop in his bat, just enough to where like you don't mind starting him if you if you need to for an extended period. But his value is not, we need to find out where Nick Senzel is best at and let him start there because he's still got potential. It's let him fill in all the holes on this team. Let him be the stopgap whenever you need one. But they should not be worried at all about Nick Senzel's future or where he fits in best, in my opinion. That's probably right. I, I don't disagree with that. What about Jose Barrero? What do you I do with think him? He fits into that category too. I just do. I, he, he seems to fit in that category as well. I, I think there's a good chance that he might not be with the major league team very long as these guys start to come up. I think that's probably right. I, I, I Well, He's starting to hit a little bit. He's showing he can play some center. I I think I'm a big, I was a big Ben Zobris fan because you could play Ben Zobris one day in left, one day in center, one day at second, one day at first. So I do think the Senzels and Barreros, I think it makes your bench better and deeper because those guys can play multiple spots. Yeah, I mean, let them be super subs if you want. I'm fine with that. But I, I definitely yeah. don't want to yeah. hear about, oh, 
can we bring up Ellie? Can we bring up Christian Encarnacion Strand or any of the other names that we've been talking about that could be up in the next however many months? I don't ever want to hear, well, we're not sure what to do with Nick Senzel or Jose Barrero. So those guys aren't up yet. Or we're trying to figure out. And and that's where I think you've seen them very quickly shuffle Senzel back to the outfield for at least to start to see. And some of it was because of the 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 uh, the pitcher last night. And they wanted a, a stacked right in bats, and that that was where they fit him in. And they've been playing Barrero in center more. You know this. You know he he obviously has shown he can play it a little bit. You're not going to play him every day. That's T.J. Friedel's spot probably, right? I mean, so an occasional start there. Nice backup role in the infield. And for whatever reason, you know you you Ellie. Let's just say struggles defensively, and I don't think that's going to be the case. But whatever. You know, he can maybe come in there and play a little bit, spell him a day a week, get 10 at-bats a week, and that's your super. You give me two super subs that can play some spots now, you've you've got a lot of mix and match, and you can do even in situational parts of games. You're mentioning the – You're not the looking sh- at your bench going you're, – Yeah, you're not looking at your bench going, huh, do I pinch hit Luke Maley or Kurt Casale? <laughs> you were talking or about – Benson. <laughs> the defense at shortstop. What about – McLean, he's looked pretty damn good there. Is there any thought that you leave him at short and you move Ellie to third? Um, he's played a little bit there. I guess there's a thought, but the the, the people that have covered the team that I know have just raved about Ellie's range that it's just obscene. I mean, their defense could go from being pretty suspect to start this year in the right. infield to being really damn good because You're McLean's right. a stud. Like he's got range, he's got an arm. I'm with you. He's been he's great. Yeah. yeah, he's been great. But I think the future would be, let's see what Ellie looks like at shortstop. And maybe it doesn't look good. Maybe it's, it is a work in progress. Um, and maybe, you know, he is eventually flipped to another position. But I think based on on just the natural ability alone, he's going to get a crack there. thing I love about McLean is he just seems like a ball player. Yes. Like he's, a, he's a guy that I wouldn't worry at all about moving back and forth. Between you know, I was positions. talking to yeah, I was talking to Charlie Goldsmith at a Bengals practice, not this week, but last week. And I said, and this is not meant the wrong way because I think the upside's much higher. I said he's a better Kyle Farmer. He's just a ball, he's, he's, a, he's just a baller. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I think he could be a lot better than Kyle Farmer, but I I mean, I'm almost to the point where I'm thinking Newman is Kyle Farmer at this point. He's been playing so well recently. He's kind of giving you that that Kyle Farmer uh bat in your lineup. But yeah, I, I I am really high on McLean, and I think defensively he can play pretty much anywhere in the infield, second, shortstop, or third, and be really good for them. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I, you know, I guess it, it, it's it's been t- it's a great problem to have at the moment. If we're if that's what we're talking about, is where to fit these pieces in, as opposed to, geez, oh, Peach, you need four bats to even to to be competitive. It's better. It's a it's a far better spot than I thought they'd be in this quickly. It is, and and they actually are competitive, which is making this all. Right. A, a little bit more interesting because they are just three games out of first place. Right. And this NL Central at this point, I kept thinking, OK, but in a week or two, one of these teams will see you know, the Brewers will get it going or the Cardinals will get up on tracks from somewhere or something. Something will happen to where someone will emerge out of the NL Central and take hold of first place. And we won't be worried about, you know, tr- trying to win the NL Central anymore. But. That doesn't seem like it's happening. Like, I, I don't know that anyone's going to run away with this division at this point. So at some point, I think you do start thinking about winning the thing. And to that point, the Reds' biggest issue right now, maybe you could make the argument about starting pitching, but from an offensive standpoint, it's the lack of power Yeah, on offense. 
Meanwhile, you've got your two best prospects that everyone's clamoring for. Ellie De La Cruz hitting balls 5,000 feet on a regular basis with exit velocities that would make your mind melt. And Christian Arncarnacian Strand is hitting a home run every other night, including a tomahawk walk-off grand slam on, on Wednesday night to beat the Sox. I mean, it, at some point, isn't there like some value to these guys just hoping you win right now because Agreed. they give you exactly what you're missing? And and listen, I know it was the whole let's not rush these guys. Let's not rush. They forced you to rush them the way they played. Right. This wasn't like a well, De La Cruz is hitting 255 and he shows some flashes and boy, we really need him up. No, it's literally at this point, I'm looking around going, what else is there to prove at Louisville for the kid? Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, too. And I'm not saying I mean, everyone is pretty much feeling that way at this point. And I think my what I'm trying to say is I'm not really worried about the Reds being three games out of first place. That's not why I'd want to make this decision. If these no, guys but, but, weren't ready, but once but, you, but once you are, and you've got reinforcements possible, go for it. Yeah. I, I mean, like they don't have anything left to prove from everything we can see. I mean, I like that Christian Encarnacion strand has shown it that he can walk some and showed a little more plate discipline, not just swinging everything. Although that Molly Tomahawk out of the, the stadium last night was, you know, about a foot over his head, I think. But that, that, that being said, I, I, I just wonder, when you clearly your your biggest hole is exactly what these guys can offer you at some point you have to try it right i mean like that's just we're getting we're getting far enough down this line where it's like let's give these young guys a chance to see if they can fix the major issue at the major league level because the rest of the team is playing pretty damn well right now yeah i mean it, you're in a mode right now where where the top of the lineup has been really good with Friedel McLean in, in india yeah. Um, and then it's kind of been the hero a night situation, right? You know, Barrero hits has the big night a couple nights ago, and you know, last night Senzel had the big hit towards the bottom of the order. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a di- and that's fun and that's good, but 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 different guy a night only lasts so long. You need your best players to play their best more times than not. And right now, I can say in this lineup, it is really a top three, and then you're kind of hope. I mean, still, Tyler Stevens still still back clean up on this team, and he's back it because. It's almost by default, right? So yeah, they just literally don't have another name to put in there that makes sense. That, that, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, knock him down to the seven spot in the lineup. Now your bottom third is going to be really. I mean, McLean, I think, has just done so much by by hitting second in the lineup with all the things he has done and can do at the plate and how much he gets on base and the way he can run the bases, the way he can steal a base. Um, you know, hitting behind Friedel, who's who's been playing really well. I just add another bat into that mix. And then you hope that, you know, Hunter green continues to go and, and hopefully, and I'm getting a little leery of this a little bit. I'll give him credit. He bounced back after giving up the three run bomb on Sunday, you know, Graham Ashcraft can bounce back a little bit. And, I, and lo and behold, you know, Andrew Abbott's knocking on the door too. So, and you've caught a little lightning in a bottle at the moment with Ben lively and, and Luke Weaver. So I, I, I would have never said go for it and I'm not in complete go for it mode, but at this stage, I honestly, and, and I, they know better than I know. I realized that as I sit here laying on, on my bed doing this podcast, but it was kind of like with McLean, what else do those guys have to prove at the moment? Right now, Spencer Steer and Matt McLean might be your two best hitters. In fact, I'd probably lean into that. I'd probably say those are their two best hitters right now in their lineup. Yeah, I'm a big guy. India just does a lot. India, India and McLean just remind us. It feels like those guys are going to be 287 hitters, but it's a hard 287, and they're going to do a lot of different things 
to create. I mean, that top three can create a lot of runs with Friedel's speed, McLean's ability to move the ball around and, and with gap power and, and obviously his power to hit out of the ballpark. And, and I like Indy in the three hole at the moment. Um, you know, Steer could could hit fourth. I think he's probably better suited to be a sixth hitter in a really good lineup. So there's Ellie plugged in somewhere in the middle. I mean, you suddenly go from a lineup when the year started, and I said it, and I meant it, and I think I was right, of yuck to, ooh, okay, this is a really good major league lineup at the moment. The other part to, to this, with the ability of Steer to play first and third, for McLean to play short and maybe third, for Senzel to play a bunch of spots, for, for Barrero to play a couple of you got a chance on a nightly basis based on matchups, based on, and it's not going to be a lot of track record for, for the younger guys, but maybe for some of the older guys, track record of success or non-success against a, a guy here and there. Um, the ability to give days off without thinking that, man, we're really compromising ourselves. If I take this guy out of the lineup, I got to put this guy in. It's instead of, hey, we'll give this guy a day off because we've got guys we can move around and feel really good about all these guys. I, I, I think that's a really good spot to be in. The big question and the topic that got everyone fired up this week is local sports talk radio and online was trading Jonathan India. I, I think C Trent had brought it up as opinion more. So it wasn't like he was saying the reds are going to do this or there's talks of the reds doing this. I think he said like, you know, it might end up being the best option for them was to trade Jonathan India at some point to make room for all these young guys we're talking about in the infield. Do you see that as being a likely scenario? Not necessarily right now, but at some point down the road this season? Um, I don't. I, I I read the story. I didn't disagree with the premise that he's the logical guy you could do that with and certainly get something in return and feel like you've got pluggable pieces. But at the moment, I do think he is kind of the heart and soul of this team. I think he – I know the metrics don't back it up, but when I watch him play, I don't look – I don't think of a horrifying defender. I think he's okay. I think for him – it probably will constitute a position switch in the offseason. And it might constitute a position switch, again, with McLean going to second, and they said, tell India, you're going to play the outfield three days a week, second base one day a week, and you'll be our DH two or three days a week. Maybe that that's a plan, too, and I'm, I'm still okay with that. I Jonathan India still has a lot of value. Um, and, and so I, you know, and, and maybe if your phone rings and, and you're like, man, we do need some more starting pitching, and they're going to give us this guy for Jonathan, and we got ready-made replacements, and okay, listen, I just don't, I just don't see it taking place. I just don't. I think it is silly to start worrying about having too many p- good players Agreed. when you're not even 500. That's fair. And, you know, I mean, like the, the idea that they've got to get rid of Jonathan India already because they have too many good players when only maybe like one or two of them have started to prove anything at all is crazy to me. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. That being said, long term, I am not overly high on Jonathan India. If you want to trade him for something, if you want to move him out to left field, I'm totally fine with that. I don't think he's like some untouchable piece or some cornerstone of the franchise just because he won rookie of the year a couple of years ago. No, but I mean, the rookie here was really good. Sophomore slumping injuries and he's come back again and, and, and given you a lot in that lineup. Yep. He gives you a lot. And so it would have to be something that, that you're like, I'm getting a legitimate piece of I'm flipping this guy or, in the offseason, you are you're, you're penciling him in for somewhere in the outfield. But for right now, yeah, I I, I got the concept. I like the story. Um, uh, it made you think. I know it angered some people too. Um, and people worked it is, up. It is jumping ahead a little bit in the game, but I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't examine that right now personally. Yeah, I think we're in the same boat on that. So let's end this red segment real quick with where we started it. 
gun to your head, Skinny. Will we see Ellie or CES this weekend when they play the Brewers? I'm going out on a limb and saying we see Ellie Friday. All right, man. What type of crowd do you think that'll bring to the ballpark? Uh, I think you'll have a pretty nice walk up, especially if they finish off the sweep. Um, it's a weird start time on Friday too um, for TV, but yeah, I I I think I think you'll have a nice I think because there's some buzz right now. I mean, we my boss at, at local12.com literally said he goes I I put up the Reds gamer from last night a couple nights ago, and he said it went crazy and it was just an AP game store. I think people are starting to feel a little buzz with this. You, you have to, Skitty. I mean, you you know how I am about this stuff. Like I it's hard for me to even really care about the Reds record at this point, but, and and honestly, that's not what's doing it for me nearly as much as a combination of a few things. I think one is obvious, the young guys that are coming up. The other is I legitimately think that combined with the rule changes this year have made it so much more fun to watch Reds baseball on TV. Yeah. No, right. The games are quicker. They're faster paced. This team is running a lot. They play kind of a, Sometimes it drives me a little crazy when they run themselves into outs, but they play a, a fairly exciting style in terms of the way they, they play on the base pass and play offensively. If they could get any pop going at the plate, they'd be really fun to watch. And these young guys are really just adding to the excitement. I, this is as much fun as it's been to turn on a Reds game at night as I've had in, I don't know, several years. With the pro, with the, with the, the, the potential of, even more help on the way. I think that's yep. the part. It's 100%. not the, hey, these bunch of ragamuffins are playing well and you know it's going to die out. No, one of your hot prospects is up and raking and two more who arguably have more potential offensively than this guy do are are knocking on the door. And I, I you know, I don't know how you couldn't be excited seeing that. Yeah, we started the season w- with mostly guys that you looked at and you're like, this guy isn't a part of the future. Like this guy is a no name, nothing. And now it's the guys who are contributing are mostly guys that are going to be a part of the future. And that's what's fun to watch. Right. All right, let's move on to the Bengals skinny. Not a ton to talk about here, but I did want to get to sports illustrated's Connor Orr wrote a column titled 100 bold predictions for the 2023 NFL season. And in it, as promised, he made a couple of very bold predictions involving the Cincinnati Bengals. He predicted the Bengals will beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl and Joe Burrow will win his first MVP award. He also predicted that Burrow will, quote, do something cool with his contract so the Bengals can re-sign all of his wide receiver friends. That included Tyler Boyd, by the way. Your thoughts when you hear each of those predictions, Skinny? They're not signing all three wide receivers. For so that, so mean, that's I, the I, least I, likely I, I, of the three. Yeah, I just don't, don't see that taking place. I mean, could Tyler take a one-year team-friendly deal? Yeah, maybe. Um, at the same time, I, again, I hate to tell you, you're going to run out of money eventually. You just are. Um, don't forget, Logan Wilson still is in that mode of you need to to get him an extension. So it just comes down to you can't pay everybody. And they see the writing on the wall. That was why the Charlie Jones thing. But no, the other two, logical to me, I, I don't know. I guess bold is the right way to do it because you're doing it in a column format. But I, I don't think you're like jumping off of a clear limb with that. Joe Burrow is knocking on the door of the MVP conversation. And the Bengals certainly are knocking on the door of being a Super Bowl champion. And they, this is the best roster they've had in these last three years, right? I mean, it, it really and truly is. It's their best roster um, overall. And so a team that got to a title game and was a field goal away from, from going to the Super Bowl for a second straight year with the best roster of the last three-year run, with a quarterback still maturing and having now a full offseason, hopefully, 
and and the best offensive line he's played behind, not even potentially, I'll, I'll just say the best offensive line he's played behind, I don't think that's out of the limb whatsoever. The Bengals have the fifth best odds to win this year's Super Bowl at 11 to 1. Chiefs are 6 to 1. Eagles are 6.5 to 1. Bills are 9 to 1. And 49ers are 10 to 1. What are your thoughts there in terms of the actual odds and the way it shakes out? Are, yeah. are the Bengals a little farther than you'd expect, or is that about right? I, I would I, I would flip them with the Bills. Yeah. I think Philly is the best team in the NFC. Frisco is just a notch below them, maybe even a further notch at number two. So I, yeah, I mean, you're going to, in the way that those odds are down, it's AFC, NFC, AFC, NFC, AFC to the Bengals. I, I'm clearly flipping Buffalo and the Bengals, clearly. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and then in terms of the MVP, Burrow has the second best odds to win MVP at plus 750 or seven and a half to one. Mahomes is seven to one. So he's the favorite. Then Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are right behind Burrow at eight to one. So pretty, pretty tight there in terms of the MVP race. Yes. Speaking of that, um, the other day we were we had our one open practice of the week on Tuesday and a couple of people came up and they said, hey, that's such and such. Right. I said, yeah, he's the best quarterback on the field at the moment. And they looked at me. I said, about he's the most accomplished quarterback on the field. And I got this look. I said. Man's man's been to a Super Bowl and also won an MVP, and it was Ken Anderson who was there. I said, now he's going to certainly be bypassed here in the next few years in that regard. But, um, yeah, I, I think that's – Joe Burrow's put himself right in that conversation. You have another good year lead this team. I think he's very much a, 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 an MVP pick. I don't want to take shots at anybody, but please, can you explain to me who was – who in the local media didn't know who Ken Anderson was? Well, he had his back to us, and it was he was leaned over talking to Mike Brown, and it was way off in the distance. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it was. Come on, I know we've got a lot of a lot of transplants working in this city, but like, if you don't know who Ken Anderson is, it might be time for a new job. Uh, Skinny, anything else to get to with the Bengals here? Yeah, I thought the Tyler Boyd stuff was interesting. Him coming back uh, to to practice, um, talking about how he missed his teammates, and it was one of the reasons he came back. Um, You know, I was surprised he was there. I thought we'd see him at at minicamp because it's mandatory and you can get fined if you're not there. But I thought he was taking the rest of this off season off. But I, I do think that he realizes how special this has a chance to be. Um, You know, he stayed in shape. He looked fine. All those things, you don't, he's not going to slip out of condition and all that. Um, But I, I I do think he realizes this may be my last roundup and I don't want to miss this any longer. And so kudos to him for doing it. And I think he did it for the right reasons, which was, I just want to be a part of this. Have you heard or seen anything from Jonah Williams? No, we keep asking about it. And it keeps getting shut down quickly. I, I've told everybody from Jump Street that I, I believe he'll be there for mandatory minicamp. I can't imagine he he's, he wants to face the fines. It is the mandatory portion. I always remember you know, people know this by now, but if you don't, the stuff that's currently going on is voluntary, um, and it it speaks to the 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 culture of this team. I mean, eighty seven of the eighty nine guys on the roster were were there on Tuesday, including Lyle Collins, who wasn't practicing, but he was out on the field. Um, you know, uh, working out as he rehabs from his knee. The only two people that weren't there were Chidobi Wujie, who's rehabbing from knee injury, and some guys rehab differently, so that's not alarming whatsoever. He's been there. I've seen him. He's been to a, a handful of these, uh, the, the open locker room settings, so he's been around. And Jonah Williams, that's it. The only two that weren't there for a voluntary workout. And I'm writing this for, for Friday. I mean, these workouts are very, very light um there's a method to the madness zach's explained it the last couple of times we talked to him i explained it really well again the other day but i'm not alarmed by jonah not being there i don't think anybody else is they're literally doing nothing but drill work 
Jonah Williams is a veteran. Could he use some extra drill work? Sure, they all can, but I, it's not alarming. I, I will say, I don't know if it would be alarming, but it will be interesting if he doesn't show up for the mini camp week after next, June 13th through 15th. Then I wonder where this is at, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily alarming, and I understand they're not doing anything important there other than, you know, like stretching and going through the motions. But with the culture being what it is and all these other guys showing up, the fact that he's really the only healthy guy who's not showing up, that, that would suggest that this is about him losing his starting job and essentially well, being recruited over, right? I mean, yes. And, and the other part, though, is he is in a contract year. Um, last year, he knew he was getting the fifth year option, so he knew he was getting guaranteed money. He's guaranteed nothing beyond this year. And let's not forget his rookie year. When did he get hurt at the end of his rookie season? Uh, uh, I guess minicamp. I don't know. OTAs. OTA. OTAs. So you're going to run the risk of that if you're him? No, 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 I'm not. Not not when it's voluntary. Fair enough. <laughs> I just I I um. If I was Jonah Williams, though, too, I don't know that I actually have a lot of bargaining power. I think I would actually be trying to, like, I don't know, be a model player and earn a bigger contract. I, I Well, the bigger contract's not coming here. It's going to come when he plays, and he's going to be the right tackle if push comes to shove. Um, right. I mean, he's but, but, but like, well, let's be, he's being a babe. He's pouting. That's what he's doing right now. He's pouting. Uh- I'll, I'll be honest with you, talking to a lot of teammates, and I know they're not going to roll them under the bus, so I don't expect oh, sure. yeah, I mean, just, just to come across. But I think they genuinely understand because they've even said, listen, part of this is a business. And that, that's what this this yeah. is the business side of it, where he's oh. making a business decision that I have. Honestly, I'll be honest, I have no problem with it. Like I said, I'll, my eyebrows will be raised if he's not at mandatory minicamp. Then I'll think, all right, now you are being a baby. Now we're at an impasse. And now where do we go from here? Will you show up for a training camp? Or what are we? Gonna, I just don't think that's the case. The voluntary stuff. He's chosen not to be there for the voluntary stuff. When the mandatory stuff comes along, I truly believe he'll be there. Um, and and they'll welcome him back with open arms. I, I don't disagree with any of that. And I totally understand all the players are going to say, yeah, it's you're right not to show up for voluntary stuff. The only thing I know is all the other guys who are healthy are showing up for it. So I mean, he's making a choice to True. be a pouty baby. I mean, that's what it and then he would be here if he if they hadn't sign someone at his position in the off season. Uh, yeah. Yes. In all likelihood. But again, yeah. when you're, when you're now at that stage of you're, this is it. There's, you know, the, I, I'm going to free agency. I don't, I wouldn't risk an injury. I wouldn't for. That's fair. I mean, yeah, it's with, it's within your right, stuff. but it's within your right to do that. But that's why he he's doing it because he got replaced. Period. Sure. I mean, that's, that's it. All right, let's let's move on to uh, college basketball. There's some big news in college basketball this week. This is it's so weird to be here in the first week of June or be at the end of May and be like, hey, college basketball is still rolling in terms of its its news cycle. But I mean, with the transfer portal and and obviously there's always been a little bit of high school recruiting going on during this time, but it's really college basketball world still still rolling. Uh, first, we'll start off with Xavier. They landed a commitment from four star wing Jonathan Powell out of Centerville High School in Dayton. Powell is ranked 96th overall in the 2024 recruiting class and is Xavier's first commit in the class. It's getting your thoughts on Xavier getting on the board early in 2024 with a top 100 recruit. Yeah, I've seen him play and I like him. And I, I talked to a couple of buddies that like him even more than I do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a four star you're getting. Um, it's a great program. Uh, I love, I love their coach. Yeah. Um, Gabe cup. Gabe or, I mean, that's a son. No, uh, son yeah. Brooke, um, Brooke cups. Brooke cups. Thing, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've, I did a bunch of games with with them and Moeller for for a handful of years when when the younger Cups was a freshman coming through. 
um, and obviously into the state championship team. They, they I mean, it's funny. Uh, Gabe Cups is kind of a dude. Powell's a dude, but yeah, Powell Gabe Cups is going to Indiana. He's yeah, point guard. Yeah. Um, but even that state championship team, they were good, but it wasn't like, wow, that talent level. They were really good with a couple of really, really good parts, a really good point guard in the sun. But I thought they were just so well coached, too. So, yep. you know, he's going to be well coached. Um, I, I, it's a great get. Yeah, I think my biggest thing that I tell people when it comes down to him is I like shooting. I like having a lot of shooters. And he is for a high school prospect. I mean, think about this, Skinny. For his career in high school, and he's played varsity. He played his first two years at Chaminade Julian, yep. and he played varsity both years there. Then he transferred to Centerville for his junior year last season, and and obviously started and played a lot there. Was their leading scorer in his high school career? He's shooting over forty percent from three on nearly five hundred attempts now, and that's as a freshman, sophomore, and junior in high school, all at the varsity level. I mean, think yeah. about that. Yeah, no, it, it, that's right. there aren't a lot of high school kids that. First of all, they can say they're a career 40% shooter, especially if you're playing three years of varsity, because usually those first two years, those shooting percentages are going to be dragged way down as you're, you're kind of getting the feel there. Or, or you're going to take bad shots, way fewer shots, too. I mean, the fact that he's at nearly 500 attempts in three high school seasons is a ton of attempts for a high school. Well, I, 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 the other part of that, too, I think Rick shows two things. A, he's a good shooter, but B, a lot of guys high school wise think if they have any daylight from three point range, they're going to let it fly anyway. So it's not a good three sometimes that, that yeah. drags percentages down. So that also tells me he knows what a good shot is as well. Yeah. And uh, the the other thing is he has crazy range. I mean, he's, he's getting a lot of these off from four or five steps behind the, the three point arc. So I think that's, what's most exciting about him. If, if you're a Xavier fan, he's and he, not only is he a great shooter, but he's not like, you know, a six foot guy with no athleticism. He's six, six, he's long. He's, he's a good athlete. Now he's not a big driver or ball handler. He's kind of limited in that regard. He's more of a, you know, perimeter guy, run off screens, catch and shoot on kickout type type of player. Uh, but he does have some, some slashing ability. Cause like you talked about, he's been well coached. So he knows how to play off the ball. He'll cut back door and he can finish above the rim with, with his length and athleticism. So yeah, Phil lay on the break. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He's very good in transition too. Yeah, make it an easy one. Yeah. So, so that was good for Xavier to get on the board in 2024. None of the other teams locally have landed any 2024 recruits just yet. So we'll start, we'll start to talk more about that recruiting class as we go forward. Again, this isn't for this coming season. This is for 2024, 25 right. yep. freshmen uh, is what we're talking about there. Then on the other side of things, skinny, we had uh, the guys who had their name in the NBA draft. They had until Wednesday at 1159 PM to pull their name out of the draft and return to college and retain their eligibility if that's what they wanted to do. So obviously we talked about it last week with Kentucky, their roster situation. They just don't have many guys. They they need to, to get some bodies back. And a lot of fans were starting to hope, okay, hopefully Oscar Shibway and, and Chris Livingston and Antonio Reeves are going to pull their name out of the draft and come back. Well, we found out on Wednesday night, uh, Oscar Shibway and Chris Livingston ain't returning. They are both staying in the NBA draft. And Antonio Reeves did pull his name out of the draft, but he's unsure yet whether or not he'll be back at Kentucky. He's considering transferring as a graduate transfer. Uh, and, and for the record, he's still, if I'm not mistaken, he still has to get his degree to do that. I don't yeah, think he, he has. Yeah. I think that's correct. He would still have to graduate this summer, but for them, especially with a guy like him, who's been in college for what, four, four years now. I mean, he, 
you would think he'll be able to get that done pretty easily because there's you would hope there's other guys who are in the, for like two and a half three right now that are are trying to get the same thing accomplished. So, um, you know, how big of a loss is this for Kentucky skinny that you're not getting Shibway to return or Livingston and who knows what's going to happen with Reeves now? Yeah, I think all along the Livingston thing was writing on the wall. I, I don't think he's going to be a very good NBA player, but you know, Cal, there've been Cal guys that have, haven't done much under him that have gone on a great NBA careers because they're either underused or um, just, you know, we're young and finally developed. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what his deal is. Oscar, I guess I get it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there that he asked for a wild number to begin with. Kentucky said, thanks, but no thanks. And then they thought they were getting Dickinson and they didn't. And they went back to his camp and said, Oh, we can give you this. And the camp asked for even more. Um, and I also think you know, there's a part of Oscar. It's I, you know, if, if one team said, listen, we're going to draft you in the second round and give you a two way contract. And that was enough for him. That's probably all it took for him to say, I'm, I'm ready to turn pro because I truly think even whatever he was going to get from Kentucky NIL, if it wasn't, what he had hoped or his camp had hoped it was still going to be a good chunk of change in all likelihood more than he would make on a two-way contract initially. Yep. But I, I think he's hit that stage of one, one you know, maybe multiple teams have told him, Hey, some somewhere in the second round, you're, we're taking you. I, I will promise you that. And we'll get you a two-way deal. And at that point, he's like, I've done enough in college. I'll go do it. So um, I always thought that was 50, 50 and it was leaning more in the last few days to 90, 10, that he was not coming back. The reason was interesting because now I do wonder, I wonder if now his camp says we've got some NIL leverage. What can you do for us, Kentucky? And if you can't, then we will go elsewhere. But you sure need me more than I need you at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I've heard like Illinois might offer him a a crazy NIL deal to transfer there. But that's just hard for me to believe that Illinois really hasn't that much more money for Antonio Reeves than Kentucky does. Uh, You know, like Kentucky wasn't giving him anything. Well, the alleged. Well, that's not true. I mean, they 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 aren't quote unquote guaranteeing numbers, is what we've. Well, true, told. but yeah, but, but all know, these he wasn't getting enough. Yes, but like all of these Kentucky guys, I mean, I have a a fairly good insight into to how that worked this year for Kentucky players, and I promise you, they all did pretty damn well, um, in, including the walk-ons. So I, I mean, I just find it hard to believe that Illinois. I, I'm not saying he can't get more money somewhere than Kentucky, and that there aren't there aren't dollars already guaranteed to Kentucky's incoming freshman or whoever, but really you're going to make that much more at Illinois than you are at Kentucky. If you're an Antonio Reeves, that, that just seems hard for me to believe. And well, I don't know that Kentucky's going to win anything of consequence this year, but if Antonio Reeves comes back to Kentucky, he's going to have a major role on a team. That's very talented. Yeah. I just, uh, I go back to, um, Sometimes you come to Kentucky and it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Sure. The pressure is so much more intense. And then you felt that pressure by the way you shot in the Kansas state game. And that's now hanging over you, no matter what you can shake it off. You can, you know, potentially bounce back and be just fine. And we saw him do that a few times last year. We had a couple of bad games in a row and it would come out firing for three or four games in a row and be great. But I do think there's a different animal there. Like I said, in, in the pecking order, maybe he felt like, hey, you know, what about me? You you keep promising these freshmen and you've promised Oscar and I promise is the right word. But you know what I said, the, 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 where the money was going to shake out and right. that, w- why not my cut? I'm a pretty important part. Well, now that's what I'm wondering where he pulls out and he's got a little leverage now to play with of, you know, Kentucky needs him way, way more than, than he needs Kentucky at the moment. And that's what you start to wonder. I mean, Kentucky is legitimately getting desperate at this point to, to joke add bodies and and there are still some names out there in the transfer portal in fact 
like today, as we're recording this on Thursday, David Jones transfer from St. John's is at Xavier visiting. I would assume he will stop at Kentucky before he leaves this area because Kentucky is one of the five teams that is also recruiting him heavily. If, he was at Memphis on Wednesday. If I was at if I was Kentucky, I, I'd meet him at the at the at a skyline up in in uh, up by Xavier. Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, I well, mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm calling. Hey, wait, you just stay. I'll come to you. We'll come to you. You don't have to worry about coming to us. Yeah, I'll meet you halfway yeah. uh, on 75. Well, like if you're if you are Kentucky though, I. I you know, I don't know how much I believe all this, like they're not guaranteeing NIL or whatever. That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm sure I'm sure Kentucky will do what they need to do to acquire a roster before the season starts. And if you're a team like Xavier right now, where you think you have a legit shot at getting this transfer, David Jones, it's like there has to be this party that's worried Kentucky's just going to get desperate enough that one of their donors or NIL collectives are going to say, look, here's two million dollars to come like we, we just we, we need you david jones you got to come here or something crazy like that i mean it just feels like kentucky has enough in their war chest if it gets into a bidding war that someone will will drop a bag to to make these guys i mean hell they've been doing it for how however many years to acquire all these, ta- no, all these so, talented recruits they have i mean so dude that, that was i heard this this last night was a kind of a, a little bit of a joke that it makes of, of who would have thought that Calipari of all people would not know how to pay players properly to get them to come to the <laughs> to, to play for him. Yeah, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe it's legal. It's, maybe it's true. All these years, maybe uh, Cal was the clean one. Everyone else was just cheating. Exactly right. How to do it? Yeah, but I, I mean, right or wrong, dude, that's alarming to be sitting here right now. And they've got a trip to Canada. Maybe they got a trip somewhere, um, not too far off. I mean, right? They literally have seven dudes on their roster. Yeah, I mean. Now, if you add a, a David Jones or a Grant Nelson in the transfer portal, like I mean, if you add like two guys in the transfer portal here, you're you're probably fine. I mean, it's not like the end of the world. You still have a lot of talent and all that. But if you miss on literally like two more guys out of the handful that are left, you're all of a sudden in a real position where it's like, all right, they just have to grab any warm body all of a sudden. And Correct. That's not a spot you want to be in with the roster that the, the incoming freshmen and the talent that they have coming in this year. Yeah, I, I'd like to be able to hold a practice before I go play in Canada. Have five, maybe a five, five on five. five. Yeah. Guys, we're just going to go uh, three on two, two on one the entire day. <laughs> I've had to do, trust me, I've had to do that with my practices waiting for football players, but you shouldn't have to do that at the major college level, barring injuries. You would hope not. Although with the, with the transfer portal being what it is, who knows what types of things we'll see going yeah. forward with rosters. Good. Good point. All right, let's switch gears here one more time before we get to ask any anything. A little NBA playoffs talk, a little betting talk. The Celtics won three straight against the Miami Heat to make it interesting. But in the end, the Heat pulled it out in Boston in Game 7 to advance the NBA Finals, where they'll take on the Nuggets, who have been resting for about a month after sweeping the Lakers. Skinny, your thoughts on the finish to that Heat-Celtics series that we talked about last week, where we were wondering... Are, are the Heat going to sweep the Celtics that we ended up in a game seven and uh, eventually the, the Heat won out still? What, what were your thoughts after that? Well, thank goodness that that a gambling is not legal in Kentucky yet, nor was I able to go to to Ohio to make a wager, nor to the casino in Indiana to make a wager, because I, I thought the Celtics were going to close them out in double digit fashion of it. Just everyone did. It's just it's just the perfect storm. Um, but the perfect storm was that's what the Celtics team was all about. I mean, live by the three, die by the three. Um, 
don't defend at key times. And they were a freaking joke. It was that was embarrassing, to be quite frank, the way they played in game seven. It was. And I thought we nailed it on the head last week when we talked about it. Now, looking back is the, the, the things we talked about were the three point shooting discrepancies between the two teams, how the Heat had shot it really well in the first couple of games and the Celtics had. And, and if that flips, that's how the Celtics make some miraculous comeback. And for three games in a row, that is what happened. They really shot the ball well from three. The Heat didn't. And lo and behold, the series quickly turned around. But then in game seven, the other thing we talked about was how mentally soft the Celtics are. Yep. And part of that, when I say they're mentally soft, I'm talking about when they don't make shots, when they're not shooting well from three, Now, a lot of teams are like this. They don't play as hard defensively. They're not as tough overall, all those types of things. But this Celtics team, they just quit. They just stop playing when things aren't going well for them offensively. If they're not jacking up threes and they're going in, it's like they are totally dysfunctional and have no fight left in them. I don't know what that's about. I don't know if that's a coaching thing with Joe Missoula. I don't know if it's uh, just the way their leaders are and they're not, they don't have strong leaders or what it is, but that the first three games of that series, which you should have never been down 3-0 to that team, which you were much more talented then, and that game seven where you get blown out in a in a game seven on your home floor against a team that's not as talented as you, that you would just beat three straight times. I, that is you're right. That's incredibly embarrassing. I, I honestly I don't know what you do with Joe Mazzola at this point because I, they're ugly to they're ugly to watch because the ball gets stuck. Guys dribble side to side to side to side to side, and then try to take a, a step back three. Um, I don't mind five out. It's the way of the world these days. But part of five out is somebody at some point has to get downhill to create a double team situation for a kick out or to finish at the yep. rim. They do none of that. They just throw it to a guy who dribbles a few times side to side. Then if he decides he's tired, he throws it to another guy who does the same thing and then shot goes up. And a lot of times they do make a lot of tough threes. But when they don't, they are really ugly to watch. And you and I talked about this. And I, I thought Eric Spolster playing zone and daring them to, to shoot early in the game and just see kind of how that would go, and when they went 0 for 10 to start, they were mentally a mess the rest of the night. I thought that call by Spolstra was ballsy, but a really good one as it turned out. Because the 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 issue there is you start out in that 2-3 zone, and Jason Tatum makes his first two or three threes, and Jalen Brown makes his first two or three threes. You're, you have zero shot of winning that game in Boston with that crowd behind Correct. them and them Correct. feeling themselves and playing with some confidence. The game's over before it ever starts. So... Jumping out in that 2-3 zone early was a big risk on Spolster's part, but they didn't make those first couple shots, and then they got tight, and their ball quit moving, and then they just melted down completely and quit playing with any toughness on either end of the floor, and it was the exact opposite. The game was over, but it was because the Heat were running away with it in Boston. I mean, that that was just a crazy game to watch. I go back to Joe Mazzulla because this guy is a a first-year head coach, with the Celtics and he got them to the Eastern conference finals and he lost in a game seven. So a lot of times for a first year coach, you're not going to get rid of them. You're not going to be even talking about that type of thing. If that's the situation you're looking at, but with this Boston team and how embarrassing it was to lose to an eight seed, the way they did. And the fact that if you're going to try to make another run with this group, the way they are with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and these guys, well, something has to change. Yeah, I don't think you can just run it back the same way it was this no. year to end it. Like you have to change something. So if it's not going to be this group core group of players, which I don't think is their plan, then can you really afford to run it back one more year and and 
basically close this window with Joe Mazzulla as your coach. Yeah, and and listen, in the Eastern Conference, there were three legit teams when the playoffs started, in my opinion. None of them made it out. <laughs> but but the bar for Boston, I mean, the Eastern Conference Finals should have been the low bar. I mean, that should have been the low bar. Right. And so did he do anything to get him there? And that's the other part. Do you look and go, yeah, we need to have a stronger force who, when things are going bad like they are, does have the ability to tell these guys get something going to the rim or have a set, have a pet set or two. I mean, it literally looked like it was just five guys standing around going, uh, you do it now, or yeah, it's your turn to try to do it. Or, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I, it's just, it's ugly to watch. Is Brad Stevens going to go into the phone booth and change this off season <laughs> back to his coaching gear? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, here's the thing. If, if you had the re itch and he's such a young guy, I can't imagine he doesn't have the re itch at some point. It's not like you're going to have to say, uh, I got a roster that's going to take me six years to rebuild this thing the way I want. No, you, you got a roster that's, again, the bar next year, even if you ran this back, and I don't think you can. I think you have to make some kind of change. Even if you ran this back, the bar should still be the Eastern Conference Finals. That's the low bar. I think I saw a, a shot that, you know, they they flash up to the crowd and show the people who are sitting there like, oh, Jay-Z's courtside at this game or P. Diddy's fat now or whatever. Um, but they showed Brad Stevens a couple of times during that game seven early. And I think, Skinny, if I'm not mistaken, he had a stylus out on his touchscreen phone uh, and was drawing up plays on a pretend whiteboard on his phone to beat. The, the zone defense, I like the Miami Heat zone. I think I think that's what I saw, if I'm not mistaken. So I have to imagine, yes, he might have had the itch a little bit when he was watching Joe Mazzulla and the Celtics melt down in game seven in Boston with a much more talented team against the Heat and Eric Spolstra because they couldn't figure out a zone or how to run any semblance of an offense. I'm going to guess, yeah, he might have gotten the itch just a little bit during that period. So like in all seriousness, if you're in the situation like the Celtics where you had to fire one coach, which still doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. They've never really told us what happened there. And you go to a guy like Joe Mazzola, even if he had confidence in him, didn't really work out this year, kind of in this weird spot. Isn't the easiest thing just to go back to Brad Stevens? Yeah, but I still think you have to make some some personnel change. And I don't know what that personnel change would be. I just don't, but it's got to be something. All right, I got a few numbers for you from a betting perspective here I want to ask you about for the NBA Finals. Of course, it's the Heat against the Nuggets. The Nuggets are huge favorites, minus 425 to win the series. The Heat are plus 320. Now, obviously, you're not betting the Nuggets to win at minus 425. Do you have any interest in the Heat at plus 320? None. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. I, I would take, if I could, and you can find this, I just know what the odds are. I think Nuggets in five, I would take that bet and then hedge it with Nuggets in six, whatever those odds are. Well, while while I am trying to get to that, I do have a number kind of similar to that that I, I like that I wanted to ask you about. You know, you can bet the exact series, like uh, four games to two, yes, yeah, whatever, yeah, that, in favor of certain yeah. So Nuggets four to two, which would be a six-game series. I want yep. one past you. Plus 400, four to one. Yep. What do you think about that? I like that. Like I said, I would take Nuggets in five as well. Those would be my two, my two ones. Because I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get probably five fifty in five games. So Nuggets four to one. You got plus two fifty. Really? Yeah. I would have thought that would have actually been. No, that's the lowest. That's the most likely outcome according wow. to Vegas. I think that I'm just gonna stick with Nugget Nuggets what? in Nuggets in 
Nuggets in six, and then probably play each individual game along the way. Yeah, so Nuggets in six was what I liked too. Nuggets four to two is plus four hundred. That's the the fourth most likely odds, I guess, according to Vegas. So here's what they have: they have Nuggets four to one is plus two fifty. Nuggets four to three, so a seven game series is plus three ten. That's the second lowest odds. Yeah, then they have- the, the the problem with Nuggets in six is. That means you're going to have to close them out on their on their home floor because game six would be in Miami, right? Yeah, but I mean, after watching them against Boston, I don't think that's impossible. I know that's too. that's why I, I I would lean more towards Nuggets in five, where they just close them out at home in game five. Yeah, I'm going back. I'm going to, I'm going to Nuggets in five. I don't like the odds a lot, but I just think the whole closing them out on their home court. I I don't want to run that risk. Wait, it'd be. Uh... Two, two, one, 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 right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, Nuggets in a sweep is plus 380. And then Nuggets in six is plus 400. And then you yeah, get I'm into go- the heat after that, which yeah, I, I'm, going I nuggets in, I'm going Nuggets in five. Okay. Uh, what about, here's here's a wild one for you. Highest single game scoring performance, right? You just have to pick a player yep. to have the highest single game scoring performance. Caleb Martin is 30 to one for that. <laughs> I I think the problem with that though, is he still is going to get outscored by somebody on Denver on a given night because they're, 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 they're the, cause the heat are more balanced. Could Caleb Martin go for 30? Yeah. But that might be a night. Jamal Murray goes for 36 or the Joker goes for 34. So, well, this is for the whole series. It's one game. So, I mean, your point still stands, uh, you know, Jokic yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. So that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, even if he plays great, he's getting to 30. And I just think somebody on the Nuggets, even in a night where they would lose, would because Jamal Murray at that point, it would be a shootout, in my opinion. And 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 I, yeah, I, I, I love the odds. The what odds I'm saying really is, even, even if he has 31 game, that doesn't necessarily mean no one has to beat him that game. They can, you know, it just means. Jokic or Murray or Butler, or someone has to have more than thirty in any game in the season. Oh no, I thought we were talking about just yeah, no, I, no, I, I I don't like that bet then. Okay, yeah. Oh well, I mean, obviously, I don't like it. There's a reason he's thirty to one. Jokic, Murray, Butler, all three of those guys would worry me in that bet. Those are the three most likely scenarios. But when you're talking about you know Jokic is plus one thirty five, Butler's plus one seventy, Murray's plus two hundred. All of a sudden, you get a huge jump up in Caleb Martin's plus 30 and yeah, he's you know, yeah. three guys away from them. Like to, to me, Caleb Martin is going to probably score more than Bam Adebayo or Michael Porter Jr. in terms of his highest game total. And both of those guys are ahead of him. So I think there's a little value there in Caleb Martin at 30 to one is all I'm saying. Yeah, the Joker's the Joker's going for 35 in a game and Jamal Murray's going for 40 in a game. I think that's probably right. But I could see a game in which Caleb Martin has 30-ish points, has a Jalen Brunson-like playoff performance. Uh, like he did a couple years ago with the the Mavericks when he went for forty something, and he's he's got a lot of confidence right now. Oh yeah, he's, he can definitely get buckets. I could see him just having a bit one big night, especially if Jimmy Butler continues to be in this little bit of a funk that he was in the last three or four games of the Eastern Conference Finals. So we'll see there. One more here uh, that I got for you. A theory I have when the when these things happen, where you have one team playing along tough series where they're like still in it. They just got done with their series and the other team has been sitting out for a while is that the team that's fought hard and still in the flow and all that actually has the advantage initially, like they'll wear out, but like that first game, they are more ready to go in game one. So my theory here is 
Heat to win game one, Ooh. Nuggets to win the series, plus 550. Ooh. I'm still going no. I, I'm just a big fan of this Denver team. I, well, so I am I. I'm, I'm looking for play. value here. These are all long shots. I'm, I'm, and that's definitely. the thing. I, I, you know, I was even thinking, we were talking about this last night. Some guy, I, I'm not even <laughs> excuse me, sure there's any value in the MVP voting or in the MVP bet. There, there really isn't, right? It's going to be. I mean, okay. I guess, I guess, I guess, if you really thought Jamal Murray was going to go crazy, but he's his odds aren't even going to be that bad. I mean, the Joker's the the clear cut favorite. I mean, I guess you could flip it around and go. Jimmy Butler's going to turn it back on again and do some crazy Jimmy Butler things and go with him. But there's that there's just not a lot of long shot on the board. Where you're like, what about that guy? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's Caleb Martin. I don't know. <laughs> that would be something. Uh, well, if, if if you like that, then you have to like him to have the highest single game scoring performance if you like him for MVP. The 30 to one bet. The, I don't like that necessarily, but 30 to one to me seems like it's a little high. Like that's yeah, it a does. thing you it, sprinkle a few dollars on and just pray like hell one night. Caleb Martin, Caleb Martin gets unconscious. Goes goes for 38. The Joker spends the whole series in foul trouble and Jamal Murray can't make a shot. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think that's enough on the NBA finals. Uh, well, you, you said you like the Nuggets in five as your official pick. That's right? my official. Yeah, that's my official bet. Okay. I'm going to say Nuggets in six. Let's move on to some Ask Skinny Anything. And we'll start. Someone was not happy with me last week, Skinny. Uh-oh. Rick, you blew it again and breezed right past Skinny saying he played golf with Dan Horde and Paul Daner. Let, for, uh, can we, I want to know what else I blew it on. I mean, I'm not saying I haven't. There's plenty of things. I'm, I've got rocks for brains, but... What what he said blew it again. I want to know what the like the other thing that he had in mind here was on on what I blew it on first. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he said I blew it again. Uh, I breezed right past you saying you played golf with Dan Horde and Paul Daner last week. Can we please get some follow up on that? Who is the best golfer of the bunch? Were they boozing? Is Horde constantly asking them if they want to rip his one hitter? We need some details. I uh, know Dan 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 won. Dan Dan shot an eighty four. He he was the winner in the group. Um, Paul shot an 89. I was terrible in the front nine. I had seven penalty strokes and shot a 94. Wow. I, was, I was hitting a lot sound of foul like, balls. Sound like your boy, Michael block this week. I was, I was hitting Jeez. a bunch of foul. I was hitting a bunch of foul balls on the front nine at the and took seven penalty strokes on the front side. So that did not help the old score. Uh, Dan's a solid player. Um, he occasionally has some issues putting, but, uh, but he's a good ball striker. Um, so yeah, we did not booze cause we played early in the morning, but like I said, we went out to Herb and Thelma's afterwards to have a, have a burger and a few beers. So, um, if it was a different time of the day, you can rest assured that we probably would have had a few Dan's far more, um, far more stayed and professional and solid than Dana and I, Dana and I have had some boozing moments on the road. So. Um, I don't know if we'd booze particularly crazy when both of us would have to drive home after golf, but uh, we would normally have some, yes, but it was too early in the morning. What are the conversations like out there on the court? I mean, I'm not telling you to throw them under the bus, but are you guys talking like Bengal stuff? Are you talking work or are you uh, a little of everything? Gags? Yeah, a little of everything. We we all like kind of similar movies and shows. We were talking a lot of that stuff. We were talking some some shop. I was picking Dan's brain about UC football and basketball a little bit. Um, yeah, no, it was just nice, general, breezy conversation. All right, there. Well, hopefully I uh, did now, justice this time. Around. Hopefully, hopefully you didn't blow it this time. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I really do. Whoever said that, please, will you chime in? What What was the other things that you had in mind that I blew before this? Not. I'm not saying I'm. You're wrong. I just would like to know. Uh, this I assume is an inside joke between you and Jed. I don't know, but. Uh, which number is higher, 
the number of home runs Ellie hits as an MLB shortstop this year, or the number of texts Herbie sends Steve Specht on a daily basis? Oh, you talk about Kirk Herbstreet. Yes. It's not an inside joke, but I get it. I get it. Um, who boy. Right, what? How does Jed's brain work? Like, why? <laughs> what does that even mean, really? Like, well, they are tight. I'll go, I'll go Ellie home runs. I think Kirk Kirk will primarily leave Steve to coaching. I do. And of Bro, course, for those who don't know, Kirk Herbstreet's son is the quarterback at St. Xavier where Steve Speck is the head coach. I mean, I don't I don't think I don't find Herbie as a meddler. I, I don't find him as a I could be wrong. Maybe I, he's, he's a meddler. I, I don't yeah, find he's him great. As a meddler. Yeah. I mean, Kirk Herbstreet's great. He seems like he had to have a great temperament as a parent. Yes. Yeah. As a as a football dad. I I'm thinking that's like at most a handful of text messages a day. Agree. Not even I don't even know if it's that. It yeah, probably be- probably rarely talk, actually. But correct. Even if we're yeah. being jerks about it. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm sorry, I'm going Ellie home runs. <laughs> that is such a now he did say he's a shortstop. And what happens if Ellie switches positions? Maybe he knows something we don't know. And that well, that's a good point. There, there's the little tweak that we didn't think of. Well, so and this is a guy like that. That would be such a Jed move here to right. be like call us out in two months and be like, see, you were wrong. I said shortstop. Yeah, you're right. See, yeah. he's a he's a clever man like that. What is Skinny's most irrational fear? Um, that there is a snake living in my garage at the moment. And it's only because three years ago, um, a snake did go into the garage. I'm, I, I don't know if I have a rational fear of snakes. Uh, I have a, a definitive fear of snakes, but I literally, in fact, we were doing, we were redoing these, this flower bed over the weekend. My daughter and son-in-law came over. It was a pretty big chore. So we worked on that for about seven or eight hours on Saturday. And at one point, um, I was asked to go into the garage to get a bucket from the front part of the garage where the workbench is. I said, nope. I said, that's where the snake lives. And they all laughed. I said, you think I'm kidding? I, I, for all I know, that snake is still in there. Like three or you four just, years later, there's no way. I said, I don't care. In my mind, that snake is still in that damn garage. So if you guys want to do it, you go get the bucket. And of course, then my daughter, I'll go get that bucket. She got the, she goes, the snake's not in there. I go, snake just didn't see or didn't care about you. The snake's in there. I'm just telling you, snake is in that damn garage. So for the rest of your life, you're just going to live in constant fear that there's a snake in your garage? Correct. Okay. Correct. That seems but reasonable. It's irrational. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this, this is very much an irrational fear then. Yep. Uh, that was a great answer. I did not. I thought that would be a tough one when I first saw it, but that's that was. Oh, I, I, yeah, I tell answer. them it's so we're I'm not a big soft drink drinker, but my wife will buy soft drinks in bulk 12 packs, right? For mm-hmm. to keep them for a couple of months or whatever. And she keeps them in the garage on, on these shelves. And I will go out to do that because it's it it's right off the door from like our kind of uh, downstairs area where I literally can just put them in there not really even have to step foot in the garage and then walk back out. So I don't fear the snake then, but I'm telling you any other time. I mean, even when I go to the front of the garage, you get like a shovel or a rake off the thing. I look down to go, is he there? I don't see him grab the shovel, grab the rake or whatever. And then I can go. Um, but I, I'm, in my mind, that snakes in that damn garage. I can't believe your family lets you get away with that. Just the way you are in your temperament for you to be, that scared of going into your own garage is wild. I would also pay for like some ring video footage of you sprinting out of your garage, looking behind to make sure a snake's not chasing you. Oh, I, dude, I do that. If I, I have to go like a few I steps in to get like, it's like, daggone, there's the roundup over there. I need that. <laughs> I, I'll look real quick. I'll grab something. I'll grab like a weapon just in case, grab the roundup, drop the weapon and run out of the garage. I don't know why, but that is legitimately hard for me to believe. I can't picture I mean, you being dude, like that. So this was during, I guess it was, during COVID, so it's the summer of, of COVID 20, I was doing this big project where I was, I have lava rocks. So I'm 
they needed to be cleaned off. And I'm like, you know what? I got nothing to do on Saturdays or Sundays anymore. I'll just sit in the driveway, clean off lava rocks, redo them and repurpose them. And it gave me something to do for six hours being outside on a nice summer day while we were all trying to quarantine. So my next door neighbors have an in-ground pool. And that was the day they had a bunch of people over um, were outside. And so I came back down to the garage to get a tool. And that's my irrationality. So when I came around the corner, I heard and it kind of snapped at me and it was big and long and black. And I, I backed up. So my neighbor, I literally screamed like a girl. My neighbor goes, what the heck, man? I go, there's a snake in my daggone garage. He goes, really? Let me see. So he comes over. This is the best. So the snake starts slithering out of the garage at this point. He had like one of those noodles that you sit on in the pool. Yeah. Swatted at it. And it went up into his shrubbery. I go, huh? Shame on you, bud. <laughs> your problem now, bud. Yep. Your problem now. Have a good day. Oh, man. All right. If you could only eat one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm. I'm such a big steak guy and I don't eat it that much. I'm going to go. I'm going to go chicken wings because it's just so versatile. I could literally do it every day. That's a pretty good call. Wings would be a good one. And you got protein in there, too. So it's yeah. I mean, and I could do it on, on some days and I'm a big medium sauce guy. I don't like like garlicky the sauce fancy stuff yeah, yeah the, but but i could also mix it up on days where i could go with like light other days i could dunk it in i don't always eat, if i get a really good sauce i don't usually dunk it in blue cheese but if it's like a light sauce or kind of a like the doc style at barley corns i love but i need to dip those into blue cheese for some reason so yeah you can mix and match that stuff up too I, yep. I, yeah it's, it's a it's a go-to for me yeah damn that's a good call i think i would go tacos yeah they're versatile yeah, you can put a lot of different toppings on those, make them different ways. You go beef, you go chicken, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. versatile. Yeah, I like that. Uh, what is Skinny's favorite donut? Um, that's a good question because I'm kind of just a normal glaze guy, but um, it was Krispy Kreme that did it, or might have been. No, it's Duncan. The the it's like a chocolate cake donut, not with the chocolate um frosting on it, but a chocolate cake donut. Just, just where it's like the plain, nothing, yeah, it's a little, it's no a little, icing or anything. Yeah, it's a little crunchy. Yep, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I love that one. But okay. I, I will say it's cliche, and it it kind of came and went quickly in a way, the, the fat of it. Krispy Kreme right out of the oven glazed is absurd. <laughs> they were really good. I'm not a big donut person. I'm not either. And, but, it, and, it, and tomorrow, I believe, it's either today or tomorrow is National Donut Day. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like never. I mean, first of all, it is literally just a dessert. It's not like people who eat for breakfast are psychos. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's to me, it's not it's not the thing I'm reaching for if I'm going out for a dessert. So, yeah, and it's funny. I, I'm not a huge breakfast guy and I, I don't consider I, although occasionally. For whatever reason, if I'm out and I, if I do stop at a Dunkin Donuts and I will grab a donut to go with a cup of coffee, but I'm kind of with you. I don't consider it a true breakfast food either. Yeah. Uh, where's your favorite place to travel with the caveat being that with the caveat being that you've been there more than once? Um, I could go back to Hawaii tomorrow. I've been there four times. Nice. It's expensive. It's, it, I mean, that, that there's, there's, a lot, there's, it, it's just, it's just incredible. It, it really is. You're just sitting there looking and going, man. Th- th- these little islands out in the middle of nowhere and look what this has produced. It's, it's just spectacular. I have to add it to the list. Never been to Hawaii yet. I, Fargo, uh, Fargo, North Dakota is not on the list. 
It's not. So, so we had this conversation. So last night was my son-in-law's birthday. So we took him to Montgomery in for dinner. And we, I don't know how we got in this conversation. We started getting the conversation of how many states we've been to. I think I came up to, I've been to 43 of the 50. Really? That's pretty yep. good. It's better. Than I thought. And one of the ones that seems odd that I like, I haven't been to ones that nobody has on their bucket list, right? Like I have not been to North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, but one weird one, I guess just because I've never, because they, the only professional sports team they have, they have soccer too, but really is NBA. I've never been to Oregon. Oh yeah. I mean, kind of makes sense. Yeah. That you wouldn't have, wouldn't have been out there for anything. Yep. That was just a weird one. It's like, Oh yeah, I've never been to like you tell people you've never been to Idaho. Sure, you never been to North. Yeah, I get it. Never been to Montana. Yeah, sure, but Oregon seems like you somehow if you travel a lot, you somehow stumble through Oregon at some point. Yeah, I guess a lot of people just like to go out there for like if they're making that sort of Pacific Northwest trip, you end up there. But I, I mean, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked you as a guy that's necessarily been to Oregon, especially when you factor in the uh, lack of sports coverage out there. I mean, yeah, you, so haven't, I, you haven't ever covered, covered the Ducks for anything. No. It, so I, I got to look because uh, UC found out some of its kickoffs for um, for its uh, three of its first four games. And one of them was the Friday night game against BYU. I got to look this up because I think that's the weekend. Is that the weekend the Bengals are home or on the road? I was, gonna, I was trying to double dip a trip here. Yeah, 10, 15 p.m. September 29th. Yeah, who did the Bengals play that weekend? I, and of course, last year's schedule is the one that pops up, so I don't have this year's schedule in front of me. So we're talking September 29th. The Bengals are playing in Tennessee. Oh, so yeah, I could, October first. Yeah, I, I would have loved to. If you could have double dipped that BYU trip, um, somehow with like the Arizona game or the, or not the Arizona with the uh, with the San Francisco game, I, I think I would have done that. But yeah, 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 that's not one you can do. I've I've been to Utah before, but I wasn't checking it off a of bucket. I was thinking maybe I could drive from Utah up through Oregon and down to San Francisco somehow on a Saturday. It'd be a nice drive. That'd be a good time. I know of, I know of a, a few people that are making that uh, 49ers trip. Yeah. It's a cool stadium. Uh, Where are we at here? Oh, okay. Final question. How does skin, how does skinny feel about De Niro and Pacino having kids at 82 and 79? A God love them for being that productive at that age. But what, what are we doing? What are you doing? Honestly, what are you doing? Yeah, is that? I mean, is that really screwed up to do to the kid? Do you think? I do. I, do. I mean, it is it is pretty messed up that you know you won't really be a part of their lives. I mean, that's they're like eight years old. <laughs> Daddy, we, can we play catch? Can you go get my dialysis machine first? I mean, seriously. <laughs> but can, if, you get, I, can, you get, can you get my catheter bag, please? I mean, really, what are you what are you doing? Like on one hand, I do feel that way, but on the other hand, I also think about all the people that are in bad positions but younger that bring kids into the world that probably shouldn't i'm like at least these kids are you know yeah they have more care and money and stuff that that they could ever know what to do with i mean that might screw them up for other reasons but like it's not like they're they're going to be left alone in the world or anything yeah they they certainly have generational wealth right yeah they have young hot moms and generational wealth will be all right yeah but honestly but that is weird i mean that's weird to do to your did, kid. did you guys not still, still think the swimmers might work i mean what are we doing i would I, honestly at that age i would assume it didn't too i know <laughs> i don't know much about biology but i'm pretty sure after 70 if i'm maybe that's really what both went when they found out they're the, the pregnant they went huh i didn't think that those things worked anymore he's like huh. that hasn't ha- that hasn't happened in 15 years yeah 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm on that. Now, what are we? What are you doing? For goodness' yeah. sakes, what are you I, doing? I I would definitely if if I'm if I'm doing it after seventy, I'm not pulling out. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> just hope my swimmers aren't working. I would assume they don't. I'm with these guys actually. Well, I, I'm not blaming them. Well, uh, here's the maybe they're modern miracles. I, I, you know what's funny? I meant to look this up when I saw these stories of the oldest what who the oldest person to father a baby is. Damn, that's a good question. I know it. We'll Google it real quick. Okay. There's no maximum age that stops a man from being able to have a baby. You can become you a father go. long into your older years, but there are risks. I'm trying to still. T- I know we're trying to find the record. I, I see. All right. Ten oldest fathers in the world. It's from oldest.org, which sounds like an extremely <laughs> reputable source. So I'm going to no no go with this as fact. Sure. Uh, Ramjeet Raghav. Uh, 1916 to the present. He's still alive or at least was at the time of this writing age when child was born in 2012. Guess how old he was. Uh, He would have been 90. No, no. Oh yeah. I already gave you the math there. Dang. (laughs) No, he was, he was, it says he was 96. Oh no, you're right. It was not. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 1916 to 2012. Yeah. Yeah, He was 96 years old. Wow. So there you go. He's number one on the list. Number two is is 92. is, is, Is he the so so keep going. I want to know if Pacino breaks in the top 10. Okay, so 92 was second. 90 was third. 90 was fourth. 89 was fifth. 84 yeah. was sixth. We got a big drop. Ooh. Let's see. 81 is seventh. So uh, Pacino made it top, top is, six now. Is De Niro 82 or is Pacino 82? I think uh, Pacino. I think Pacino's 82. I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It says he's 83 now. So uh, okay, and De Niro wow. 79. So, yeah. So there you go. So he would be in the top 10, according to oldest.org's list uh, that was published. What an honor. I'm not sure when this was published, but there you go. What a, what an honor. And again, <laughs> what are we doing? What are we doing? What actually what are we doing? Like us two right now looking at this stuff Look, up, looking that stuff up. We do it just for our audience. Yeah. Just just to be factual. Thanks, as always, for the questions. Maybe by the time we do this podcast next, Deli Delo Cruz will hit four home runs for the Reds, and I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about about that. We got uh, some Bengals, maybe 11 on 11s we get a chance to see next Tuesday as they move to the organized team activity practice session of the offseason. Next next week might be – we'll figure it out. I'll be out of town, so we'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure something out. out in terms of the right. timing of it. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work at some point somehow. Yeah. It might be up late, though. Don't get upset. That's all good. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope Reedish. edition.